I'm Stefan Bauman, and welcome to another podcast. This week, this episode is so chock full of information, you don't want to miss it. We talk about creating color charts. We talk about doing nuance painting. We talk about frames and transitions, watercolor, and we end our conversation with NFTs. Are they worth it or not? Anyway, so if you are interested in art and you want to get to your next level, I have my new book out, Stefan Bauman's Ultimate Field Guide. Yes, it's a field guide to plein air painting. You can get that on my website. But until then, you want to listen to this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast on so many things that you'll want to listen to this over and over and over again. And I'll talk to you on the other side. For those of you who don't know nuance painting, nuance painting is basically, um, you know, like if you ever go to like a really cheap uh, hotel and you use their restroom and they have Formica walls. Remember back in the Formica era where everything was Formica? And they would have these fake marble walls that were printed. And you stared at the marble long enough and you would see heads of elephants and then the heads of horses and all these things. Your mind kind of went off and thought, you know, what are these things? It's kind of like looking at clouds. You kind of see the shape and you you, you start seeing it. So nuance painting uh, is kind of like uh, Grisaille painting, except you start off with nothing in your head, nothing at all, not a not an inspiration, not a thought. And a lot of people who are having blocks, artist blocks, uh, are are uh, they come to me? They go, I just don't know what to paint. I don't feel anything. And I go, let's try a nuance painting. Let's sort of kind of break through it. They go. Well, what is that? So basically you take asphaltum, you could use also a little ultramarine blue, you mix asphaltum and ultramarine blue together and you start covering the whole canvas with that color very thinly. And then you just start putting more dabs of it and rub it around and kind of mess with it. You step back and look at it. Sometimes a little extra alcohol helps a little. And you just kind of look at it for a bit you go, oh, wow, I kind of see a cliff here with a horse on it. And so you start just kind of pushing that out. You, you go, oh, wow, I kind of see a waterfall. So you kind of have to start off with nothing. And then you just kind of allow your imagination to create. And oftentimes it will, it, you know, you try not to say, oh, I'm going to do a landscape. You kind of like be free with whatever it is. And I do this with my students when they reach artist block or if they're not inspired or to take their artwork to a different level. And it is amazing how that um, that exercise really starts to have you see things. And then as you start seeing them, you define them. You still keep it in that asphaltum, ultramarine blue. And you try not to push it anywhere. As long as you can, you allow the imagination just to kind of flood onto the canvas and then when you start getting an idea of where the painting goes then you start adding color to it and it's a really great way of taking your artwork to the next level so it's 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 really awesome so we had a, a critique where Lori Putman and I sat on a panel 
and the room was filled with people and we were critiquing people's paintings for the weekend. And Lori is a very studious, very good painter, very studious. And I'm more like passionate, like, you know, like, ah. So I, so I said, where's your central focal point? And she says, you don't need a central focal point in the painting. And so she had a little heart monitor on her, you know, that would beep every once in a while. You know, so when I got her a little ruffled, yeah, I'd go, yes, you do. I said, all the paintings out there, if you walk the hall, the paintings that catch your eyes have a central focal point in them. And I could hear her little watch going, beep, beep. Her stress levels raising up. And I'd go, you know, what's that? And she said, she said, oh, that's my heart monitor. You're getting me a little stressed out. And I go, don't be stressed. It's just what is. You know, think about Caravaggio and Rembrandt. They all had central focal points. She says, well, I teach my students about, you know, painting the time of day and so if it's overcast it was really smoky there so uh so uh you know everybody got these smoky paintings and i go well i teach my students that they can choose their central focal point and create a fine work of art and i could hear her thing going beep 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 and i'm like what's that she says oh it's just my monitor going and so and so i like well i didn't mean to move her monitor i was just like yeah, I was just saying what I do, you know. So the the problem with most critiques and those things is that they talk about, oh, well, if this painting had a little bit more shadow over here, it'd be a better painting. And my thing is, it's like, you know, all of you, put more shadows in your painting. I said, what is it with all of you painting such small little piddly paintings? You should be painting 12 by 16, you know. It's like, that should be the smallest you go. And her little heart monitor is going beep, 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 beep. I'm like, it's going faster. She says, well, I've been teaching my students and the demo that I did with them is that they should be out here making little sketches and things. And I said, sketches? We're in we're at Rocky Mountain National Park. This is the only time that you're possibly going to have a chance to paint something like this. You know, it's like you've got to go home with some magic treasures. I mean, let's face it, if you go home from this this uh, convention after spending $5,000 and your spouse sister says, what did you do? And you open up a book and go, well, I did these little five by seven sketches. He's going to go never again. So, you know, you got to come up with some great paintings and you can't sell stuff that you keep in a book. And her thing is just going, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> it's getting louder and, and more intense. I'm like going, it was, it was quite comical. I mean, you know, we were going back and forth with things, you know, and I was talking about, well, in the center focal point, you have detail. And she's, she starts off talking about all the detail around the foreground. And I said, that's a waste of time. I said, so all of you, I didn't get a chance to talk to you, but all of you should write this down. There was a program on Nova on PBS. So, and I'm surprised how little PBS watchers there are anymore. But on PBS, there was a program called Nova and it was called the Brain Perception Deception. And I think all of you should watch that because it basically shows how we see things. And while it was playing, I had a few people who weren't my students actually text me going, are you involved with this, this thing? And I go, no, but to, as I was telling these people there, I was saying, you know, in order to paint, I said, painting's a language. In order to, to communicate to somebody, you have to know the language. How, how does your viewer receive things and how do they see things? And I said, once you do that, you can you can communicate through your art. 
And so I told her, I said, you know, that everything on the side of the painting is worthless. You know, it's, it's, we, we look off to the center and we get our cues and everything else is supposed to fall away. So like if you started putting, you know, blurred edges on, on this painting on both sides, the viewer would eventually funnel through. And if you don't give something in the middle, like the central focal point like this here, you're, you're, you're going to miss out. So she disagreed with me on the central focal point flat. And when you're outdoors painting with a smoked, smoky day, you you got to have enough education. The problem is, is that most of these artists don't understand how to paint light. Not at all. Which I found out because at the end, I was like, you know, like, oh, this is just, let me leave this up here. I said, you know, I was, I, you know me, I want to teach people how to, to paint really good. So at the end, I have this group and I go, you want to change something tomorrow? First, put a central focal point in your painting, somewhere in the middle of the painting. And number two, there are two parts to this. Your highlight should always be cool. And all of a sudden, her little meter goes, beep. I said, Lori, turn that thing down. I feel like Rudolph on that television, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, when the nose just got, kind of, I said, turn that thing off. It's like, she's totally getting like, and I said, and if you really want to understand how to paint light, shadows are always warm. And I mean, I thought we'd have to like, you know, revive her at that point. I could see her, her blood pressure was going up and stuff like that. It's like, so the motto is, if you don't want to have, want to have people know how you actually feel about things, don't wear those watches that tell you that your pulse because the whole room gets to hear it. So I said, yeah, and Lori says, shadows are always cool. I go, no, they're not. In fact, it's so hilarious that all of you are painting brown shadows and claiming that they're cool. I said, I've never in the world saw, you know, a cool color brown. And these are artists that have been painting for years. Lori's, you know, she won the cover of the Plain Air magazine. She's like the, the golden child. She had like all these demos beforehand and stuff. Everybody's like, oh, Lori, Lori, Lori. And she, that basic concept. And I turned to her and I said, okay, Lori. I said, shadows are always warm. And from now on, you're going to hear that every time you paint a, sh uh, a shadow. And that's my memory that I'm going to leave with you. So I had to kind of apologize to her. I, I wasn't obnoxious. It just kind of folded over an hour or two hours. It was a two-hour you know, critique. So all these little things you know, kind of unfolded. So I don't want you to think that I was just like jumping on her. At the end of the talk, you know, we have 250 people in the room. We get off stage and there are 25 people around me wanting to ask more questions, you know, so there was a lot of curiosity about the stuff that I was teaching. An interesting theory, why people don't know it, I have no idea why that is. And it's, and you know, you see right here, your shadows are warm, highlights are cool. And I say that over and over and over again, but there's a benefit to that. Now a word on framing and framing your paintings. When I see a painting, I want to, I, I want to kind of see the painting pop out. And uh, this one here, I, if you're going to go with gold, I always like to go with an antique gold. So this antique gold is pretty good in here if it was just a toned down one. But all of this gingerbread on the outside tends to be, you know, a frame, a painting in itself. And the craftsmanship to these frames, are, you know, you can't 
you can't uh, undersell those. But you see how much time we're spending talking about your frames and not about your painting? If you want people to leave thinking about your painting, you don't want to outshine them with your frames. So just, you know, kind of consideration. I kind of like just having flat, plain frames. Now, I go by the belief that too much of one thing is wonderful. You can't wow me enough. And I used to frame my paintings like this. And people would say, oh no, all I can see is the frames. And I didn't believe them. I said, well, that's just... But the thing is, eventually it was like nice wide frames with, you know, curves inwards. Uh, those just make the painting like, you know, you, the presentation. Um, where it's... where, And this is where you and I you know, excel where other people don't. Other artists just want to put a puny little frame around their canvases or something insignificant because they don't want to take away from the painting. The problem with that is that it kind of shows a collector that you don't really care about your painting much because you didn't bother framing it. And that's, you know, that's, that's why you do want to put some major frames around them. Like these are really major. But then you kind of have to ask yourself, what kind of house would these look good in? It's like most people decorate that have money to buy paintings. You know, like this, this would be like a Western thing. Somebody has a log cabin or something would love this thing. So now let's change the conversation a little bit more and talk about NFTs and what they are and whether or not they're important for us to pay attention to. So listen in. Yeah, you know, the NFT, the, the NFT and the, and the Bitcoin uh, thing. It's like, you know, name me what a Bitcoin is. Does anybody really know what it is? And the the main guy who kind of started all that stuff is being indicted for fraud and stuff. So if you, if you can't explain it, it, it's like, be careful of it. The thing is, if this were a true NFT you know, or NFT, is that they basically would do a digital file, just one, and there's a way of, and you can't make copies of it. The original would be destroyed. Because what you're actually selling is the file. Why people would buy files, I have no idea. A few of them sold for a lot of money, but there's a lot of people out there that are not, yeah, money to them doesn't mean anything. I wish I wish some of those people were in part of my life, but if you could spend $100,000 to buy a canvas with a banana taped to it, then, um, you know, there. Uh, it's like, yeah, so, so, but, but the NFTs, I, I think it, maybe at the beginning it was a lot. I think it's going to go away with the Bitcoin. I don't think the Bitcoin's going to last. You can't have a currency that people don't understand. It can't, they can't easily explain it to you. It's like, you know, um, so, uh, you know, I would, I would, this is what I would tell them. I'd say, you love my painting. You deposit the exact amount of money. Now listen to this too. You deposit the exact same amount of money that I'm requesting into my PayPal account, cash. What these guys will do is that they'll say, oh my God, I, I made the checkout for too much. You need to send me something back, you know? It's like, and you send something back waiting for the cash to be checked and then you realize that they're getting their money back. You're sending them money and the money that they sent you is non-existent. So you kind of really have to watch the, and, and they're really clever at it. One of the things I will say, I was looking over my wife's shoulder and she likes your artwork, and I'd like to buy a painting from you that's in between five hundred and five thousand dollars. 
you know, it's like, you know, for it surprise her, you know, it's like, uh, 500 to $5,000 is like, dude, yeah, name me a painting. And so this is why you want to make sure that you have something like a, um, uh, PayPal that once funds go in, people can't pull stuff out. Um, so it's very tricky to do that. So I wouldn't, I, if you, if you can't figure it out slightly, stay away from it. I mean, it's, it should make some financial sense. And when they're giving you NFTs and stuff like that, just, it, it, I don't even understand it. I kind of do, but. So now we change the conversation slightly to a little bit different conversation where we talk about the knowledge that it takes to paint and painting and color charts and things that people feel that are really important that I feel are not quite that important. The main thing is to understand temperature, transitions, the things that I teach. The study of color can be an interesting study, but oftentimes it's not really practical because color works itself out. So listen in and uh, enjoy. And like I said, we'll get to all of this stuff at the end of uh, the recording here. I, I, you know, I learned all this stuff and, you know, I didn't have the, you know, this, these teachers that would teach me all of these complimentary tones and color charts and stuff. I kind of said it to somebody at the, at the critique. I said, can you imagine Van Gogh having a color chart or Leonardo da Vinci have a color? Well, maybe Leonardo, I don't think he even had color to a but what about Monet and Manet? Can you see them running out with color charts? Do you think they spend any time doing color charts? I don't think so. These artists went out and they painted. I, you know, Van Gogh, I, he had no education. He was just out there doing his thing, paint what you see. And that's why his work. But you know, these guys who, who promote color charts and stuff, basically my thought is if a teacher starts to talk about making color charts, pack up and go because they have nothing else to teach. That's that's my opinion about it. Is that if a teacher says we're doing color charts today, it's like why you have nothing else to teach? You know, you you're afraid of central focal points or, or uh, you know, reflective lights or checkering or eye magnets and stuff. We have to sit for three weeks making color squares that we'll never use. Yeah, and and if you use a philosophy of a limited palette and you keep your cools cool and your worms warm. You're going to get this a lot faster than spending six years trying to find the nuances of analogous colors and and the nuances of shadow and light when it's really a basic idea. So, yeah. Well, like I told you, there was a lot of information on this particular podcast. Hopefully you caught it all. Maybe you listened to it again. If you're interested in getting my new book, Stefan Bauman's Ultimate Field Guide to Plain Air Painting, you can get that information on my website. Also, you can download a free book, Everything I Know About Painting, and it's well worth, it's about 80 pages long, and there's a lot of insight on that. If you want to get information about coaching, I happen to have a couple of openings. You can reach me at 415-606-9074. That information is also on my website, along with any of my location painting courses that I have both in Vegas and in Mount Shasta. So you definitely want to go to my website and get that information. 
So till we meet next time on another podcast, please always remember, don't run with scissors in your hands and always remember to paint with passion. You have an amazing weekend and I look forward to talking to you real soon.